Have you ever been around someone who, when they pray, it is like they are calling down heaven on earth? I mean, when they pray, it's like you are in the presence of God. They have been with Jesus. When they pray, they pray with such zeal and conviction, it's as if they actually believe that what they are praying for is going to happen, that God actually hears their prayers and responds to them. They pray that way because they believe that. We see in Luke 11, if you want to turn there, that's our passage today. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching on prayer. It says this, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus was there praying, and his disciples presumably heard him pray, and they're just in awe. And one of them says, Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray like that. Oh, can you imagine the prayers of Jesus? That perfect unity and fellowship with God the Father and the Son of God. I can't even imagine the prayers of Jesus. It is no wonder that the disciples are like, Jesus, we want to commune with the Father like you do. We want the passion and intimacy and beauty that you have with your time with the Father. We want to draw near to God and seek his majestic presence as you do. Jesus, we want that. Lord, show us the way to pray. What an honorable and God-glorifying request. And so understandably, Jesus answers that request. And he gives, in verses 2 through 4, what many call the Lord's Prayer. This is a shortened version of what we see in Matthew chapter 6, which is an expanded version there. But we call it the Lord's Prayer. I think actually a better name would be the model prayer. Because Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray like this. Pray in this pattern. Pray these kinds of things. And he starts with praise and adoration, then repentance, and then petition. Some of the things we've been doing in this service. And this week, during the week of prayer, Every day we have an online prayer devotional guide and each day we're going to pray for a different thing, a different type of prayer, if you will. And it comes from this. So in verses 2 through 4, Jesus informs our prayers what to pray. And then in verses 5 through 13, Jesus shapes our prayers, how to pray. So let's look at verses 5 through 13. Verse 5. And Jesus said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed with me, and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, literally his audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Jesus gives a hypothetical scenario here. He says, imagine that a friend of yours is driving on a cross-country journey and he pops in at your house unexpectedly in the middle of the night. He did not text you. He didn't call you. He didn't notify you. He just shows up at your door. Hello. And he said, I need a place to stay. I need a place to crash before I go on my journey the next day. Can I just stay at your place for, for a few hours, get some rest? Now, if you are a good friend and a good host, you would say, yeah, of course you can. Here's the futon. <laughs> you might even put out a little meal for him or at least give him some snacks. In Middle Eastern culture, this is especially true. 
hospitality is a big deal. And in the Arab world 2,000 years ago, it was a massive deal because hospitality and honor were linked together. And so you wanted to be a good host. You wanted to show honor to your guests through hospitality. Refusal of hospitality, rejecting the person as a guest, was tantamount to a slap in the face. The problem is, you have no food in your house. Your, your pantry is bare. Your, your uh, you know, store closet is empty. The cupboard is bare. You have nothing. Your teenage children have eaten you out of house and home. Parents, can I get an amen? <laughs> you have nothing. The stores are closed. You have no options. You're out of options. And so what do you do? You go to your neighbor's house, your friend, in the middle of the night, at midnight, and maybe you knock on his door. Psst. Hey. Are you home? Are you awake? Hey, Reggie. Reggie. Reginald. 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 You grab a little pebble off the ground. You're throwing it at his bedroom window. Tink. Tink. Hey, Reginald. He opens the window. What? What is wrong with you? Shh. My family's sleeping. What are you doing at this ungodly hour? Do you have any idea what time it is? Oh, hey, man, you are home. Um, listen, I know I don't want to bother you. I don't want to be inconvenienced. It's just that, uh, do you have any bread? Really? Are you kidding? Are you serious right now? You're waking me up in the middle of the night asking for bread. I'm going to tell you right now, if my wife and I were woken up in the middle of the night by someone asking for bread, <laughs> we would go berserk. And if you woke up our kids, whoo boy, I do not envy you because you are about to get the claws of the mama bear. Mama ain't happy. Oh, I was going to say give her a hug, but okay. <laughs> and so I, 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 I get this. Now, here's what's amazing. This man asked for not just one loaf of bread. He asked for three loaves. What audacity. You would think that he would ask for the bare minimum. I'm inconveniencing you. Look, just one loaf of bread and I'll be on my way. No, why? Why does he ask for so much? Why would he do this? Because he knows his friend has the means. And we forget that God has the means to answer our prayers. God is a big God with a big supply. He has an infinite storehouse of grace and mercy and power. And so the neighbor says, listen, just go away. Do not bother me. It's late. It's midnight. The door is locked. My kids are in bed. In fact, they're not just in bed. They're in bed with me. You know, when you have little kids, your toddlers, they climb into bed with you, and they fall asleep, and it's so nice and peaceful. But you know, once they fall asleep, that's it. You can't get up. If you get up, they're getting up. If you move, they're going to move. If you wake up, they're going to wake up. So you have to be like a ninja stealth warrior if you have to get a glass of water. You know, right? You can't, you can't disturb them because if they wake up, you have to take the jaws of life to get them back to sleep. Sleep is a precious thing for little ones. And so I get this guy. He's saying, my kids are in bed. If I get up, they're getting up. No, sorry, but the answer is no. I cannot get up. I cannot give you anything. Good night. <sighs> Window closed. So does this man give up asking? This is not a rhetorical question. Does this man give up asking? No. He is insistent. He keeps 
asking, keeps seeking, keeps knocking until his neighbor responds. No, 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 Reggie, Reggie, knocking louder, longer, harder. Reggie, Reggie, come on, buddy. I know you got that bread. I could smell it at our house, two houses down. You got that good banana bread. Come on, buddy, open up. And Jesus says that the neighbor finally gives him, listen to this, as much as he needs. God gives us as much as we need, not more, not less. And the neighbor does this, not because he is his friend, but because of, literally it says, his shamelessness. His shamelessness. He's feeling no shame. I don't care how embarrassing this is. I don't care how humiliating this is. I don't care if I wake up the neighbors. I'm not leaving without bread. Do you see the tenacity in his petition? I, I think of a dog. You know, you get a chew toy with a dog, and you're playing fetch, right? So you throw the chew toy, and it takes off running, and it you know, grabs the, the chew toy, and it runs back, and it has it in its teeth. And you reach out to grab the chew toy, and you start to yank on it, and the dog's like, okay, okay, Fido, drop it, drop it. And you start, like, fighting with the dog, and it's right? And you're, you're waving your arm around, and it will not glow. It's clenching its jaws, it's sinking its teeth in, and you're just pulling, Fido, drop it, drop it, drop it, drop it. Don't you, in that moment, just admire its tenacity? Of course, tenacity is admirable. And in this story where friendship failed, firm resolution prevailed. So we tend to think not like that. In our prayers, we tend to think, well, I don't want to bother God. I don't want to disturb God with my little requests, my insignificant issues, these measly prayer requests. Not at this hour. I can handle my little issues, my my." insignificant, these small things. I'll, I'll withhold the big things for God. I only trifle God with the big things, like my marriage is on the rocks, or I need a job, or there's a health issue, or my kids are in danger, or whatever the case. There's bad health, cancer scare, whatever the case may be. Why? Why do we do that? Because we feel shame in going to God for everything. It's humbling to depend on God for everything. Exactly. That's right where we should be. And this man is actually commended for his shamelessness and audacity. And Jesus is making a stark contrast here. He says, if a friend responds reluctantly when pressed enough, how much more will God do so graciously because he is merciful and giving? And so it's not, well, if I just badger God enough, I can cajole him into responding and doing as I please? No. Warren Wearsby said it this way, prayer is not bothering God, bargaining with God, borrowing from God, or burdening God. True prayer is blessing God because we love him, trust him, and know that he will meet our needs. That is why we pray shamelessly, not just for some things, but for all things, for all our concerns. 1 Peter 5.8, I would encourage you to memorize it. It says, cast how many of your cares? All. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That is an incredible promise. Literally this week, I had this happen. I was thinking through, my wife and I were talking about our taxes. And we're like, man, how are we, who's going to do our taxes? How are we going to get those done? It's tax season that's coming up pretty quick. 
And so we were thinking through that, and I'm like, well, we could probably pray about it. And then I immediately had this thought, no, that's silly. Who prays about their taxes? And I felt like in that moment, it would be like calling up the president and going, hey, Mr. President, yeah, I don't know how I got your number, but anyway, um, Jared Bryant here. I just, I had a very important question. Um, yeah, how should I have my taxes done? Do you have any opinion on that? That would be ludicrous, right? How audacious, how much more audacious would it be to go not to the leader of the free world, but to the leader of the universe, not to the commander-in-chief, but to the commander-in-chief of all things. And that's what's so mind-boggling about prayer. God wants that. He desires that from us. He delights when we come to him. He wants us to go to him with everything. And so we can have the audacity to trouble the king of kings with our taxes, yes. With our toothache, yes. With our loneliness, with our job situation, with our heartbreaks, yes, yes, yes. God wants us to bend his ear. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. So the first point is this. Number one, God is our greatest friend. He's not a bad friend. He's our greatest friend. So pray shamelessly about everything. Jesus continues in verse 9. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is one of the most beautiful promises Jesus gives us. God does not lead us to pray only to slam heaven's door in our faces. In verse 10, the repetition here assures us of the certainty of God's response. You will receive when you ask. You will find when you seek. The door will be opened when you knock. And even the use of the verbs here, it's in the continuous form, implying persistence, meaning keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In Luke 18, Jesus literally says that we ought to constantly pray, continually pray, and he says, and do not lose heart. And then he gives a similar story. He says there was this judge in a city, and this judge was not a good guy. He could care less about God, could care less about others. And in that same city, there is a widow, one of the marginalized nobodies in that society. And she persistently comes to the judge asking for help over and over and over. And initially, the judge refuses. But he, she keeps approaching him. And so he thinks to himself, I don't fear God. I don't respect people. Yet because this widow keeps troubling me, I will grant her the justice that she is seeking. Because, and don't, don't miss the humor here, lest she wear me out. She's going to wear me out with her continual nonstop request. And then Jesus drives his point home again with another contrast. If an unrighteous judge honors the request, how much more will God, who is the good and righteous judge, answer the prayers of his people who cry out to him day and night? And then he says, Jesus says, will I find such a faith on earth? Persistence is an indication of our soul's confidence in God. So number one, 
God is our greatest friend, so pray shamelessly. Number two, God is the righteous judge, so pray tenaciously. Be relentless. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And then verse 11, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Good fathers are not sadistic, I don't think. I love pranks. I love pranking people as much as the next person. I love scaring my wife and daughters. They, will, they, would, they would tell you that. I like when I hear them coming down the steps. I'll like hide around, sneak around the corner, and right where they're on the second or first step, I'll go, blah, 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 and then, ah! they just lose it. Maybe I am sadistic. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I find joy in that. I, I delight in scaring them. It's fun. But I would never throw a snake in their bed, like a venomous cobra, like sneaking in their bed. Ha <laughs> ha, gotcha, that's messed up. I'm not going to put a scorpion in their Christmas stocking. That's insane. <laughs> that, that, listen, if you, every time you ask for food, your dad is throwing stones, snakes, and scorpions at you, you might need to call the authorities. He's got a mental issue. He needs psychological help. <laughs> Fathers give good gifts when they see their children in need. A father will work overtime, save money, forego eating himself, whatever it takes to help his kids have what is good for them, and he does this because he loves them. Again, another contrast. How much more the heavenly father who is the definition of love. He knows how to give good gifts to his children who belong to him. He knows what is best for us even more than we do. God will give his children what they need. You probably know this, but kids love candy. Most kids. Kids love candy. And they love it because they think, well, it tastes good. Therefore, ergo, it must be good for me. This must be a good thing. It tastes good. I mean, how could it be wrong? What tastes good? What feels good? It must be right. Now, we, we indulge on Halloween as parents and Valentine's Day and Christmas and Easter. We give them some extra candy, but you don't give them candy every time they want it. You don't give them candy every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner. If you do that, they're not going to live long. That would not be good parenting. Better parenting, good parenting would be that you give them a a better gift, I should say, from a parent is giving them a good diet, which leads to a prolonged, longer, healthy life. So we think we know what is good for us. We think we know what is best because it feels good. It tastes good. It seems good. We think we know what we want. We know what we need, but we don't all the time. And God does. And God gives what is best. And the greatest gift he could possibly give us is the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives the moment you trust in Jesus when you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. You get the Holy Spirit. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing, right? And so God is not a bad father. He does have your best intentions in mind. He does have what is good for you in mind. 
and for his glory. He's not a bad father. He's not even simply just a good, good father. God is our ultimate father. So pray confidently. Pray confidently. Well, okay. What if I've been praying and praying and praying for something and God has not responded? What then? Listen, my heart breaks for you. If that is your, your question, and that is an understandable, honest question, and I'm not God, I, I can't answer definitively, but I can give a few scriptural reasons. First, James 4 says you have not because you ask not. Maybe you don't have because you literally have never asked. You have not because you ask not, but when you do ask, you ask wrongly in order to spend it on your selfish pleasures. God cares more about our hearts. Maybe our hearts are not in the right place. And sometimes God does not yet answer because we are asking with impure motives. We don't want what is for his glory. We want what is for our glory. We, we ask for more from God when we should be asking for more of God. Prayer, the point of prayer is to have more of God, not to have stuff from God. And so maybe our hearts, our motives is off when we pray. Second, Sometimes the delay in response molds our character. Our God is growing our faith and dependence on him. Or third, maybe he has answered the prayer request, but it's just not in the way we want or not in the way we expect. I'm going to tell you something very cheesy. I'm talking Velveeta covered in queso, okay? So <laughs> bear with me. This is something I heard from a pastor years ago, and it stuck with me. It's cheesy, but it's good. He said, when, when you pray, God responds in one of three ways. Go, no, or slow. Yes, I know, it's cheesy, right? Go, meaning he's answering in the affirmative. So when you pray for something, he's saying yes, here. No, meaning no, it's not what is best for you, and it is not what is greatest for my glory. So I'm going to have to say no. Or slow, meaning not right now, not in this, it's not the right time. The timing is off. I think of the great theologian, Garth Brooks. <laughs> Any country fans in here, by the way? Do you remember his song in the mid-90s, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? He has this line in that song where he says, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Oh, how true that is. I think back to my college days. I was dating this girl, and I'm like, God, she's the one. I know she's the one. Oh, Lord, please let her be my wife. I know she's going to be my wife. I just please, God, let her be my wife. Oh, what a dummy I was. He didn't answer that prayer request. Thank God. Because I would have been miserable. I never would have met my wife, Skye, who is the other half of this beautiful wonderful one flesh relationship that God has sewn together. She completes me. Yes, Jerry Maguire, very cheesy, but she completes me. And I never would have met her. Thank you, God, for the mercy of an unanswered prayer request. Perhaps God shows mercy by not answering prayers the way we want or the way we expect. But I know this, prayer is always answered in the way God sees as best for his glory and for our good. And I understand it's easy to get discouraged when you pray for something and it seems like God is not listening. Can I encourage you with this story? In the early to mid-1800s, there was a man in London named George Mueller. 
And Mueller started up in his lifetime several large orphanages. Back in the day when orphanages were not even a thing, he literally saved the lives of thousands of British orphans in London. Incredible man of prayer. I'd encourage you to read his biography. It's so inspirational. It is said that he prayed for five of his friends, unsaved friends, every single day that they would trust in Jesus, every day. A few years pass, first one gets saved. More time passes, second one gets saved. More time passes, third one gets saved. Decades pass and he's praying every day for these last two unsaved friends, every single day faithfully. And they don't trust in Jesus and he dies. I should say they don't, tr they don't trust in Jesus until after his funeral, when both of these men gave their lives, surrendered their lives in faith to Jesus, trusted in Jesus, and Jesus became their Lord and Savior. Don't tell me that God doesn't answer prayers. Do not lose heart. That's what Jesus says. Keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, be tenacious. Do not give up on prayer until you get a clear answer point Jesus is making is this. This is the main idea. Knowing who God is affects how we pray. Knowing the nature and character of who God is affects the nature of our prayer. It shapes the way we pray. And so know more about God to inform how you should pray to God. And so we know that God is our greatest friend, so pray shamelessly. God is the righteous judge, so pray tenaciously. God is our greatest ultimate father. So pray confidently. Some of you get this. You, you write down the same prayers every single week on your connection card, every week. We know that because on Tuesday in staff meeting, we pray over the connection cards and we see the same prayer requests from the same people over and over and over. And we love that. Because you're showing tenacity and persistence and faith. God, I'm not gonna stop praying until you do something. How much more do you think God delights in those prayers? I think about this, a year ago, in this service, this Sunday, the week of prayer Sunday kickoff, we talked about how when you pray, pray with expectation, so pray specifically over things, not in vague terms, pray over specific prayer requests. And so Pastor Steve walked into the audience and right over here in this section, right here, he walked up to a man, had him stand up, all eyes were on him, and he said, this is Dale Terpstra. Dale is having kidney issues. He badly needs a kidney transplant. This is a life and death situation. If he does not get a kidney, he may not make it. Do you guys remember that? And everyone in all three services prayed over him, laid hands on him. A Facebook group was started around that time called Dale Needs a Kidney. And people, thousands of people across this nation every day were praying that Dale would receive a kidney. Well, three weeks ago, Dale got a kidney. And I don't know if he's in here. He was in the last service. He sat right back there in the second service. And it was so incredible to see. I talked to him on Friday. And I said, hey, man, how are you doing? He said, I'm actually doing well. I'm recovering well. The operation went great. And he said, I know it's because of thousands of people praying for me every single day day. We don't know how awesome our God is. We don't know, begin to fathom to understand the mightiness. How mighty is our God. Amen? 
And so let's pray shamelessly, let's pray tenaciously, and let's pray confidently. We're going to do that right now. So if you would direct your attention to the screens, you guys texted in prayer requests. We're going to put these up, and we're going to bear each other's burdens and pray over one another right now. Pray that God does something with these requests. Let's do that now. know that there were far more burdens and concerns on our hearts than were, than were on the screen, and you know every single one of them. You know them even better than we do. God, we saw things like surgeries and cancer, 
pregnancies and sicknesses. We pray for health. If it be your will and bring you glory in the midst of those situations, we pray for physical healing. God, we also pray for those who asked for salvation, for friends and family. We pray for spiritual healing. The image of God is shattered in them by sin as it is for all of us before we trust in Jesus. And I pray that they would see the beauty and reality of Christ, that he is good. and He is our all-sufficient Savior who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead so that we could be reconciled to you forever and ever in all joy and hope and glory in your presence. God, I pray there is one who said, pray that I would be saved. God, I pray for that person's salvation, maybe in here right now. God, please let them see that today is the day of salvation, that there's no need to wait, that they can turn to you and say, God, save me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And you answer that prayer request always. For we know that whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. God, save that person. And may we rejoice in their salvation, their transformation in their heart, and we can rejoice symbolically in that baptism next Sunday. God, we pray for those who have difficult marriages, difficult children, family issues. You love your children. You love the families that you have created. And you do not want to see the devastation and destruction that is happening. That is the result of living in a world torn by sin, and yet Jesus is greater than our sin. He is more victorious than our strongholds, our addictions, our pains, our hurtful habits. God, we look to you and we entrust all these things to you and more, knowing you are good, you are great. Thank you, God of mercy and grace. We pray all this in Jesus' name.